Hello and welcome to Additive Insight, a podcast from the editorial team at TCT Magazine. With me I have... Laura Griffiths, Deputy Group Editor. And... Sam Davis, Assistant Editor. Regular listeners may have noticed we've changed the name of the podcast and have a new logo with a nice little caricature drawn of the team by TCT's main designer, Matt Clark. From here on out, the podcast, as well as all our newsletters, video and audio content, will come under the Additive Insight umbrella. The first Additive Insight is actually a two-parter, as we discuss the hottest stories from each month in the year, with a little quiz thrown in to test Sam and Laura's knowledge of what stories our community was most interested in this year. So, first off, January. Yeah, in January I had a trip to California, uh, mainly to see Autodesk mm-hmm. at their amazing Pier 9 facility in San Francisco. That was to do with the cover that we had um, that was the swing arm on the motorbike. Um, forgive me, is that Three, a, a, two. issue two? I was going to say two. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but what was interesting about that, that they were telling me is about the generative design and it's and how they're using traditional casting techniques to for generative design. So whereas we think of generative design exclusively being with additive manufacturing, it was interesting to see how they were using generative design and then using 3D printing um, as a sacrificial tool with sand casting, and then they were using traditional tool, and so it was an interesting route in. Um, that trip also included a stop at Velo 3D. Mm-hmm. We didn't get to see very much there. They were still under stealth mode. Uh, we went to Carbon. We had a tour of the Carbon's facility, saw the Future Craft shoes in, um, in production. I went to a service builder called Modeler, who you may remember they were in an issue a couple of years back where they created the Star Wars chess pieces for oh, the new Star yeah. Wars film, mm-hmm. the dated one anyway. Um, but <clears throat> the most amazing part of that trip was Made in Space. I think, Laura, you were particularly jealous of that. I was particularly jealous. Made in Space's facilities on, NASA, on a NASA research park. And going there, it's a bit like uh, going to some kind of like weird dystopian future. There was a closed down drive through McDonald's. Oof. It felt a bit like it felt a bit like <laughs> The Walking Dead, and I've never seen The Walking Dead. Um, <clears throat> on the park itself, there's this huge hangar, which is where they used to keep a Zeppelin balloon for the war. It's really interesting. But what was interesting about that structure is it you can see it on the horizon as you're driving in, and it's just this like it's just a mass of iron girders. Uh, and I actually asked Maiden Space's um, co-founder and director Jason Dunn what it was. I wasn't aware of what it was, and he told me that that's his inspiration for Maiden Space because it's gargantuan in size. Mm-hmm. And Maiden Space, I think, were famous for the Butchy Wilmore uh, printer on the International Space Station. But really, what Maiden Space's vision is is to start creating manufacturing in space uh, and manufacturing huge giant parts that that use the benefits of space like gravity and like printing in a vacuum to bring it back down to parts down to earth um they had they had this really interesting thing which i think it made it into the 2018 guinness world book of records which was the longest continuous print and it was just like an iron bar sorry just like a plastic bar um but it went from one end of their office to the other and the only reason they stopped is because they ran out of space and Although it just seemed like a very generic print, Jason was telling me that, you know, if you think of, if you put two, 
if you put a satellite on one end and a satellite on the other end of that, then you've already suddenly got stereoscopic vision of satellites and you can start creating 3D images of Earth. So that those kind of things, that their vision is amazing. Some of the things they're doing inside of NASA's vacuum testing facility is quite amazing. One of the interesting things wasn't that additive, was uh, the premise of the application of manufacturing optical wires. I never realised that the fibre optics, they went under the ocean, mm. they're very difficult to make and... When you um, when you make them on Earth, gravity will deform them because the crystals are so small. But making them in space, they can make them as long as they want without any def deformation, which will speed up our internet and or st speed up the way we access information. Uh, and they can ma manufacture it in space and then bring it back down to Earth for us to use. It was uh, it was probably one of the most interesting trips I've ever had at CCT. I do find that really interesting because I think that when a lot of people think of 3D printing and, and printing space, you're probably thinking, oh, what, what's the point in that? But they're obviously showing that there is actually a reason to be doing that. It does have benefits to be to be printing in that sort of sort of atmosphere and then bringing things back here. So it's just, it's very odd and it sounds very futuristic, but it, it's amazing so it's actually happening now. I think at the end of each month, I'm going to give you two a pop quiz. <laughs> now, Laura and Sam knew that I was giving them a quiz, but I've forbid them from looking at Google Analytics to see which our most read stories were of that particular one. Are we going to be shocked? So I'll give you a, uh, I'll give you three and Laura you can guess and then Sam you can guess and then they will do it vice versa. <laughs> so the first one, was it Futurecraft 3D launched their trainers in New York? Mm -hmm. Was it desktop metal pattern separable supports or was it introducing Iro 3D? Which of those was our most read story that month? I think it was our oh it's your go. Sorry. See I was gonna say IRO three D, but I was half in desktop metal. I'm gonna go with IRO. I'd have gone either Adidas or IRO three D, but I'll go IRO three D. Because I think Adidas seems like the obvious one, but I don't think it was. Well unfortunately it was the obvious uh, one, Laura. Was it? it was Futurecraft, that was our most read story in January. Um <laughs> We'll move on to February now. What happened in February? Um, so it's just interesting then that you mentioned um, on your trip to Autodesk, um, there was obviously a focus on generative design. And you've just said that we often think of that as being linked with additive manufacturing. That isn't always true. And if anything I've learned this year is that it very much lends itself to plenty of other types of technologies, as you've just seen, like casting and also CNC. But just on the topic of generative design, um, I went to SolidWorks World in LA in February, which was very nice. Um, I love software conferences. They're just insane. <laughs> like, nowhere else will you actually be that excited at 8 o'clock in the morning to have someone talking about CAD to you, but it's just like a big party. I loved it. Well, <laughs> everybody's seen the Windows 95 dancing meme from when they launched. Uh, was it like that? <laughs> it, it was. It, it actually was. So, yeah, just such a, a weird experience. Um, but there was quite a few things launched there um, and a lot of 3D print and stuff to talk about. But the main one was Desktop Metal launching the Live Parts generative design software. Um, and we already know there are different generative design um, pieces of technology out there. But this one is a little bit different in the sense that um, with, not, with normal generative design, you, you will sort of put in your different sort of constraints and, and restrictions and basically kind of what you want the part to be able to do. And then you'll be given like a few different sort of versions of what, what that part might look like and you kind of tweak it to what you actually want it to be. Um, and in this one, you, it's, it, it kind of, this naturally sort of builds apart in sort of a, a real-time um, cloud environment. So it's got these forces, which the forces that you import will all, will all be kind of 
all kind of reacting with the part. You kind of watch the part grow literally right in front of your eyes. It was really, really amazing to see because this part will literally form in just a few minutes. It's a completely optimised part depending on what you want it to want it to be. And then you kind of even watch like the little bits of, of the parts sort of fall away and like, you know, and shed any unnecessary weight. So it's some really, really cool software. Um, but it was kind of a, an ongoing theme at that event, this, this idea of, of using... Um, some of the, the learnings of, of nature and just the way that nature makes things and builds things and, and taking that into, into manufacturing, especially additive manufacturing where we really you know, need to think outside the box and not necessarily think in the more linear, restrictive ways of, of past manufacturing methods. So it was, um, yeah, it was just really, really cool to see that. And um, you know, that, that's obviously been in the hands of people that have been testing it. You can, you can test it yourself and like these um, like trials online and stuff. So yeah, it was, it was really cool to see. And as I said, quite a few things were, were, were launched at SolidWorks well, but we'll talk about more as we go on because plenty of events this year. So. <laughs> Do you think with... Uh, Live paths. It's testament to the fact that desktop metal have built like a a team of amazing specialists who all specialise in one thing. I think is his name, Andy Roberts. Who, that, that that's right. Yeah, on. yeah. So um, yeah, I, I do. And you know, as as you've you know, kind of interviewed several people from from the company in the past, they really do have people that are just at the top of each field that they're kind of tackling. And yeah, that was really built from from the ground up by um the, these software experts. So yeah, I, I definitely do think that's a, a lot to do with it. And um, I'm pretty sure Desktop Metal have released some other software as well, which is around around Formnix. Can't quite think of the name of it now, but they just keep developing and building on that all the time. You know, it's not just about the the machines. Them, they are really addressing everything else around that whole. Hate to use the word, but ecosystem. <laughs> you used it straight to the pop quiz. So, so that you don't figure out what order I'm doing, I'm going to hide my pad. Um, so, was the top story that month? Desktop Metal demos live parts, as we've just talked about. Was it HP harnesses the power of colour with new lower cost printers? Or was it Autodesk opens Technology Centre in Birmingham? Sam, over to you. I think it was Desktop Metal. Um, I'm going to go with HP. Oh, Laura, Laura, Laura pulls that one out of the bag. It was Ooh, the most... 2-0 up, is she? No, she didn't get the red. Get the oh, okay. It was 0-0 on the first one. You, you didn't get it, that's okay. <laughs> so, that puts you 1-0 up on that, Laura. I've decided to start tallying it up Ooh, now. That's fine, um, So, we'll move on to March now. I think Sam is going to c- cover March for us. Are you, Sam? Yeah, it's uh, Desktop Metal again. Strong start to the year on the analytics. Uh, <laughs> so, this story actually dates back to 2016. Um, before the launch of Desktop Metal and their studio and production systems and Mark Ford's entry into the metal market with the Metal X. Um, so both companies would have been at the end of their R&D stages for their new products a year or so after those launches in early 2017. Um, Desktop Metal filed an IP infringement lawsuit against Mark Forged and uh, the IP at the centre of those being one of the patents you referred to earlier. Um, so one was fabricating multi-part assemblies and the other fabricating an interface layer for removable support. Um, and the allegation from Desktop Metal centred around a former employee of theirs who the company believed had passed on some proprietary information to his brother who worked or worked at Mark Forge at the time. Um, and that meant he was in direct violation of the NDA. Um, he would have signed the day he was employed. Um, 
and the information he had access to, while at Dustmont included important design drawings, obviously IP, um, so other information on processes. Um, so March 2018, filed a lawsuit, um, IP infringement, and a bunch of other contract and fair dealing violations as well. And at the time, both CEOs, um, Dustin Metal and Mark Forge, supplied comments to TCT. Rick Fuller of Dustin Metal said, we welcome health competition, but when that competition infringes on our technology, we have a duty to respond. Greg Mark of Mark Forge said that the claims were far-fetched and they denied them categorically. Um, so they went to court. Three or four months later, Mark Forge were eventually cleared of any wrongdoing by the US District Court of Massachusetts and nothing came of the other contract and trade violations either. They were, that was part of an agreement between the two companies at a later date. Um, Dustin at the time said they'd be reviewing its legal options with regards to the IP infringement, but I don't think that's, there's anything to that now. I think it's all done and dusted. Um, but it's quite a big story at the time and another one that seemed ages ago, but yeah. started and ended within the same year. It's not the first... Um, of this kind of case in the 3D printing industry. Even since I've been here, though, uh, the, the big one was Form Labs and 3D Systems. I think that ended in Form Labs agreeing to give 3D Systems a percentage of mm. sales on a particular machine. Uh, there was. I think there's another one going on now, isn't there? Form Labs in DWS? Maybe, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think there was Stratasys and Affinia. Uh, so, yeah, these, these things kind of rumble on, and it does seem like occasionally. Um, whether the technology comes out, two buses come at once. Yeah, I mean, they're right around the corner from each other, aren't they, yeah. I think? And I think the interesting thing about this is the story of the brothers. I don't know how, obviously, true it turned out to be, but it was particularly intriguing. Um, but I think for Mark Forge, it was a bit... I think when you're the one being kind of sued, it's a bit like, well, we've obviously worked so hard for this. Yeah. And then to have somebody come and say you've actually stolen the technology. Um, so I think they were quite relieved um, when they were found to be uh, not guilty. Rick Fulop was an early investor in Mark Forge as well, I seem to remember. So it's, it was an, an interesting time mm. for the industry. Mm. And these things always are. I mean, yeah. uh, the, the 3D systems and form labs one was played out in that movie, uh, which probably was the first ever podcast we did, yeah. wasn't it, Laura? Yeah, it was, pretty yeah. legend, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so I'll go on to uh, our pop quiz for March. It's currently... Laura's currently leading 1-0. Can Sam pull it back? But Laura does have fair to go on this one. So, was it was it Polymaker and XEV unveil mass-producible 3D-printed electric car? Mm-hmm. Was it Dedibot showcase flying 3D printer at TCT Asia? Or was it Desktop Metal files patents infringements and trade violation lawsuits against Mark Forge and former employee... Oh, I mean, for me, it's going to have to be a toss-up between drones and 3D-printed cars, because you know what people love a headline with 3D-printed cars, isn't it? So which are you going for? Um, I'm... Don't look at me, Pat. Sorry, I'm going to go with... Got to go with the car? Sam, what are you going to go with? I'm going with Dustin Metal Mark Forge. Sam is, has pulled it back to one all. Oh. It was. The, the car was second and uh, the drone was third. I thought the drone would be higher than the car. I mean, that was very clickbaity of me to do that drone because it didn't, <laughs> it didn't actually work. No, I um, went about five times during the show and it was just there, uh, sat still. I know, uh, I got a demonstration of it you flying, did, but I didn't get a demonstration it. of it printing. Oh, I think it was more of a... thousand people who were there, you yeah. only saw it. It was a more of a concept. 
How did uh, how was that supposed to work anyway? So the concrete. Print. Yeah, you feed concrete up via a tube, and then the drone would print infinitely. If you know what I mean, not infinitely, as long as your tube is. But um, and the drone works. <clears throat> yeah, I think it's a nice idea. I don't think uh, it will ever come to fruition. Yeah. But Deadybot did have some quite interesting things on their stand. Other than that, they had a. Uh, Didn't you go up to the top? Was that I did, yeah. To top and, yeah, yeah, and there was no air conditioning up there. It was so hot, it was <laughs> unbelievable. But they did. Um, they also had this metal SLM machine that was printed with two materials, uh, which is not something we've seen before, but mm. according to other people in the industry, there's a lot of waste if you ever did try and do that. But we'll, uh, we'll move on to April now, and I think who has That's got April? Me. Laura's back on to April. We're back yeah. with Laura. Go on then. Um, so April was a mega busy month for. All of us, really. Um, so, well, for Dan had a little baby. Yeah, I was <laughs> going to bring that up. Laura, <laughs> and Sam and I went to Amog and Rapid Plus TCT, which were in the space of just a week from each other. So that was yeah. uh, that was some fun. Lots of jet lag. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so naturally, a lot of news um, came from from these events. Um, Amog was really cool as it always is because you get to talk to the the actual end users. But of course, there were people actually launching bits of technology like um, Rise. Um, launching its augmented parts which it kind of elaborated on this year at Fallnet which we'll talk about later um, but the main one from Rapid Plus TCT was um, Stratus' first kind of talking and like sort of leaking details about its metal technology um, which we now know is called Layered Powder Metallurgy which I have gotten wrong so many <laughs> times um, but yeah so it's they're saying it's a completely breakthrough metal technology um, and it's going to be just with aluminium to start with, but they're hoping to expand on that um, later on. I will be completely honest here, I find this technology really difficult to, to try and explain. I still don't quite understand how it works. I've watched the video about 10 times and I still can't really wrap my head around it. Um, but it is it is based on a three-step process which starts with um, Stratus's um, polyjet technology. Um, so Again, don't quite understand it completely, but it apparently includes your print boundaries with a proprietary ink, um, powder dispensing and spreading, and then it's kind of this compaction of a powder layer to achieve like these high density aluminium parts. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what actually happens with that when it gets into the hands of customers. That will apparently be sort of early next year when it starts actually going to people. Um, but yeah, it's not actually been launched yet. It's just another one of those things which has been kind of talked about and we've heard more details about and that was only hearing more details at form next this year in November so it's kind of been drip fed since then. Daniel, you've got opinions on this? <laughs> I've not got opinions, I'm just going to say that we, uh, we our resident engineer expert Amanda <laughs> uh, has uh, is gone on maternity leave and normally she's the person I turn to if I don't understand anything. <laughs> What's this? But haven't seen, haven't, when she been on maternity leave from since like August. Yeah. So... I saw some of the earlier than that. I saw some of the technology and some of the parts at IMTS, uh, and yeah, the parts look great. But I'm with you, Laura. I've watched the process video and I didn't really understand it. Maybe yeah, and I I have I've sat down with people from Stratus <laughs> as well and asked them to kind of explain it to me, and maybe that's just me. And yeah, perhaps Amanda will get back and actually say actually it's just this. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll it'll be. 
I'll be interested to see that when it's actually up and working and we can go and maybe see one or you know when, when one actually arrives at a show just to kind of get a better grip on what it actually does but um, you know it'll, it'll be with some some early customers soon so I guess we'll start hearing feedback from from those people um, and another one at um, just to quickly say at rapid plus TCT as well was GE additive launching their first um, Arcam machine um, it's pretty much the next generation of Arcam's um, A2X um, EVM machine it's called um, the Spectra H and H stands for hot metal which is did, cool. Did we decide whether it definitely does stand that? I, I asked, I asked was, is that what it stands for? Um, so it says on the cover of our magazine. So, yeah. so. <laughs> so maybe I just made it up and they've just adopted <laughs> <Yeah>. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's, um, this was, as I said, a, a, a new technology for, for GE Additive. They had the, the wonderful big curtain drop, which I always like at a trade show. But the, the idea is that it's, it's got pretty much a f- almost 40% increase in, in build volume from the, its, its predecessor and 50% faster um, build speeds. Um, so yeah, it's a, a, this is another machine which I haven't actually seen anyone, any end users with it yet. So again, it's another one where it'll be interesting to see what people actually say about it once it's actually been used but um but yeah just another example of the the bigger technologies that were launched at rapid plus tct because i mean there was a lot of smaller things as well like sort of um, material side and software side and blockchain technology was was launched at um at rapid too which i've been kind of interested in this year because it's fit around my little factory of the future <laughs> theme which i keep getting typecast with but um okay uh ultimaker launched the uh their largest printer ever as well, the S5. Um, so that's quite an important development. And mm-hmm. I also uh, spoke to New Pro 3D, who are renowned within this building for having um, the most views on our YouTube channel. Yes. Um, so I think that was, when was that? CES 2016, I think. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so those guys kind of went quiet for about two years and uh, they were back at Rapid, uh, had a machine and were basically telling me how they kind of regret that period they came on the scene and said it's the fastest thing ever yeah. um, which you know marketers are still doing um, but these guys have been there done it regretted it um, and I've still got reservations about the quality of their prints but the speed is um, you know pretty decent they even said uh, they had guys from Carbon come over and they were impressed um, so it'd be interesting to see how New Pro 3D get on going forward. Mm-hmm. I think it's still our most viewed video in the history of YouTube. Yeah, yeah we were just saying that. So <laughs> we yeah. left the room to get some water done. <laughs> um. I think what's what's good about them though, they they as you said, they have kind of recognised how kind of bigger claim that was at the time, and you know they've, they've sort of realised the mistakes and that and come out and said, look, we actually want to, yeah, want to do this right this time. And that's easier to do at a show like CES where yeah. there is. Like that's a huge show. There's so much technology there, yeah. And not just three D printing, but there'll be all kinds of people making all kinds of claims at that show. So and everyone's got to be the best or the fastest or the biggest at something. Yeah. At CES, so. It's a it's a real bugbear of mine, the fastest. Yeah. Um, because nobody cares about how fast the printing technology is. It's all about from the time it takes to leave your computer to get the part. And <clears throat> some of the so-called fast technologies can have a longer post-processing mm-hmm. yeah. situation. And, you know... Quality at the end of the day as well. I, I listened to someone say that, like, the majority of 3D printing companies, especially service bureaus, will tend to turn the machine on before they go home. And as long as it's done before when they get in in the morning, yeah. it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter. It's ten times faster. Mm-hmm. I think <clears throat> there are certain industries where speed will 
massively improve it. Dental industry, I'm thinking off the top of my head. But the, the claims from everyone to be the fastest or we're four times faster than this person or this person, I, th- I think it's um, it's boring in all honesty. It really bores me. I can't stand it. I, um, Laura and I were having a discussion yesterday about the, the amount of people that claim to be the first such and such prince yeah. and you think, well, so what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you know, I understand that that's a keyword that people search for and that probably other... Um, other mainstream publications outside of the the press, the uh, industry press, might be more inclined to mm. to push something out if you say you're the fastest three D printer in the world. Yeah. But <clears throat> fast has its limitations. Um, how can you fast? Can you feed the material into it? How fast can you have the manpower to process it? It it's not necessarily always the best thing in the world. No. And, and neither is the having the biggest 3D printer in the world or having the smallest 3D printer in the world. It, it, it's just all... I think they just want to give you an angle there, don't they? Whereas <clears throat> if, I don't know, for example, say we, we were just talking about Ultimaker and the S5, then bringing that out is, okay, it is their largest machine ever, but just release it. We, know, we, can, we can see that it's your largest machine ever. You don't have to tell us. Yeah. Um, at, at least at least with them, it's their largest machine. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and that's quantifiable. I think when some people say it's the fastest, it's very difficult to quantify, yeah. especially for the likes of us who don't run 70 machines, so we've got no idea. Nobody can quantify it, and that's why it's all it's a terrible spiel for marketing. Yeah, and yeah. they often don't compare it to anything realistic either, so it would be like 100 times faster than current industry standards. Well, what, what, do you, what machine do you mean there? It must be confusing for the people who are looking to buy a 3D printer, though. If every company is saying it's... They're not even using the same numbers. There's a machine that came out this week that's two times faster than others, and then there'll be a machine next week that's five times. It's like, well, is it five times faster than that one? <laughs> five times faster than yeah. the one that's two times faster than It's just... I think ridiculous. I think most manufacturers will agree that it's reliability that's the key more than speed. Yeah. If you can reliably get a part in a decent amount of time, I don't think that, that bothers. I mean, if you know, quite often the is the the lead time is six weeks to get this part in a traditional process. So if you can get it in a day, it doesn't really matter if you can get it in five hours or ten hours. It's like you, yeah. you're changing that paradigm. Anyway, we're in danger of going off on one. As I tend to do, uh, what we'll do is we'll go back to the pub quiz. I think it's one all at the moment. It is. Um, so, and who's going first? This one's Sam's first, I think. Yeah. So, is it Neri Oxman's three D printed death masks go on display at the National Gallery of Victoria? <laughs> is it GE Additive sets out its role in the growth of AM as an industry standard production tool, or is it Stratasys launches new? prototyping and production 3D printers? Uh, that's a tough one. I think it, probably GE Additive, they always seem to do well on the website. Laura? Um, I would have thought the same. Is it a rule, by the way, that we have to go for a different one? or? No. no. Okay, we can both be right or wrong. Don't, don't spoil the spirit of Christmas by <laughs> when you get in the lead, just go for the same one as Laura yeah. every time I'm winning. But, uh, I'll go for Neri Oxman then. Oh, you're both wrong again. It was oh. the strategist story, so it remains <laughs> one all. And with that, we will move on to May. <laughs> May. Which is me. You, Sam? I thought it was surprisingly quiet when I was looking back, um, especially after Rapid. I think people were probably definitely in summer mode at this point. I went to Barcelona to see HP, 
Um, and air traffic control strike in France mm-hmm. meant I was one of the only reporters from the UK to actually make it. Um, but the trip was for HP's Global Innovation Summit, summit sorry, which happens annually. Um, they gave us a tour of the facility, a series of presentations about the technology applications, um, how they're going to um, impact the 12 trillion manufacturing market, um, all that stuff. Um, but they did say that at that time there were 3.5 million parts that had been printed with their multi-jet fusion platforms and half of those end, were for end-use applications, which obviously means half weren't, so prototypes and jigs and fixtures. And that month, I wrote an article in TCT Magazine, which started out as Jable's use of Ultimakers for jigs and fixtures. Um, they put out a case study and they'd saved about 98% in cost, 89% in time with those machines. And then, so I went to speak to Jable at Rapid and they told me going forward that they'd actually be using HP, HP's machines for jigs and, jigs and fixtures and the reason being that they can make and use parts on that platform and then also have the tools, the jigs, the fixtures for other manufacturing processes uh, ride for free in inverted commas and they'll do the design as such so that they can be stacked on top of each other for instance just to make it more efficient um, and it's one of those machines where the build time is the build time whether there's one part in there or a hundred I think so it's just making the most of that build time getting the most out of it um, and I'll quickly mention here that HP are doing this themselves internally as part of a programme that they call HP on HP for short, um, which started out as just producing parts for its um, multi-jet fusion printers, as we've all, we all know. I think there's 140 parts in the 300 500 series that we mentioned earlier. Um, but they're doing, they're doing it for more. And it started out with end-use applications, um, components going into their large format 2D printers and so on. Um, but I was speaking to Stu Pan, who's the head of supply chain at HP yesterday, and he said um, more and more it's they're using it for tools and jigs, grippers, guides, um, and it's up to about 30% of what they do internally at this stage. Um, hopefully there'll be an article if I can write it in time, because um, I'm, I'm off after this week, um, over the Christmas period that'll go into that in much more detail. So read it, please. 2018 in total was quite a big year for HP, wasn't it, Sam? They um, also launched their metal machines at IMTS, or their metal technology at IMTS. Yeah. Um, and one thing that I noticed this year, that a bit of a takeaway this year, is that I saw a lot more case studies that were using multi-jet fusion as an end-use tool. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll take the Black Panther um, PepsiCo keynote from TCT this year. Mm-hmm. They showcased how they were making these limited edition Pepsi cans, and the only way they could do it was multi-jet fusion because it was the longest lasting that they tested all under these conditions. I think there was another case study that was um, maybe runner-up or highly commended at TCT Awards, which was the Bowman Additive uh, Roll oh, Bearings Cage. Chain. So it, it just seemed like a big year in terms of... I think people got fr- a little bit frustrated with Multi-Jet Fusion that you know it was first announced in 2014, but we are starting to see the fruits of that labour now, mm-hmm. finally. And I wonder if it's going to be the same thing with the metals. Um, I was at the press conference of the metals where um, there was a leader from GKN Aerospace and there was somebody from uh, VW as well who were talking about how they're going to apply the technologies. Laura, you've got a little bit more in depth about the metal. Yeah, well, I think they've made this decision to, of course, launch the technology but not really launch the technology. They're launching it with the, what they're calling production partners and mm-hmm. one of them is uh, GKN and the other one is... Give me two seconds. 
It's coming there. Because there's a pee, I think. Pound game. One of them is JKN uh, Power Metallurgy, and one of them is Palmatex. So one of them is going to be looking at um, the more sort of industrial automotive side of things, and one of them is more the medical side of things. Um, so yeah, it's basically people will be able to order parts via these production partners, and that's how people are going to be able to test the technology and, and mm -hmm. see whether it's for them. Um, it's not going to be until like later next year, and we're actually really going to see any, anything from this. So in in some ways. I think it's probably quite a, a good thing, a good way of doing it. It's a good way of proving out the technology, you know, just with these select partners, you know, just get it right and then actually put it out there because there's no point putting a technology out there. It doesn't work and the people get disenfranchised by it. So, but then I understand the other side of that as well when people wonder why people launch these technologies and then we don't actually, you're not actually able to order one or you're not actually able to get one for like another two years or something like that. I think it is different though to the first time around with the Motorjet Fusion because they they announced that and then they didn't launch anything for a yeah. while. I think was it about two years maybe? It's quite a long time. Yeah. Whereas this, companies can actually access the parts even mm -hmm. if they can't bring the machine in house. But it's try before you buy essentially. Yeah. So it was an interesting year in total for that that kind of technology that they're using as well <clears throat> with the metal injection molding powders because X One launched a machine at uh, Rapid Plus TCT as well, the Inevent Plus, which they mm -hmm. then launched in um, X One Twenty Five Pro. Uh, on top of that, at Form Next this year, and obviously desktop metal launch a production system. So this kind of like a pound powder binder jetting processes mm -hmm. um, really starting to take off. I mean, obviously Ellie Sachs, Professor Ellie Sachs, was inducted into the TCT Hall of Fame this year. Um, he's the guy who invented it at MIT, and he was saying that at the time when they invented it in MIT, that they were really looking to step into production, and metals was something they were looking at at the time, but it just wasn't. The technology wasn't there, and more to the point, the metal injection molding powders, the min powders. Nobody would, everybody would look at you, give you a strange look if you tried to talk to them about manufacturing min powders. But these days, because of mainly smartphone technology, we've got um, there's several min parts inside of everybody's phones, so people are a lot more used to the technology now. And it's interesting to see all of these companies who've got a slightly different spin on it. It's to see how they adopt it. Mm -hmm. I think for everybody, though, the main focus will be what is the shrinkage and what once the bind is burnt out in the uh, sintering process. But <clears throat> according to X One at Form Next, you know this is a, it's a powder metallurgy that's understood. Um, they know the exact shrinking conditions, so we'll see. It seems it's a certainly an exciting time for that kind of technology. Mm -hmm. um, I will go on to pop quiz again. It's not really pop quiz anymore because you know it's coming. Um, so in May was the first story, not the first story, it was the most popular story on our website. Desktop Metal Unleashes Production System. Feet first, a closer look at 3D printed orthotics. <laughs> or deconstructing surgery, 3D printing at North Manchester General Hospital. I think... Sam's going first, is he? No, Laura's no, going first. first. Desktop Metal. I also think desktop metal. <clears throat> that will make it two all because it was yeah. desktop metal. Um, those two stories. Oh, you mean those other two stories were yours, Lord? I yeah. believe. Gosh. How are your three um, D printed Doc Martin um, insoles? They're, they're fine, but after a, a very busy week in New York last week, I've learned you don't wear them for twelve hours straight uh, because they will hurt you in the end. <laughs> <laughs> they've been fine. <laughs> 
that's not a great advert to be honest, Laura. Lucky uh, wrote the article before the trip to New York. And we'll come on to that trip to New York later on. <laughs> spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, so in June, this is definitely not a spoiler alert for everybody because I'm going to talk about BMW. So in June, I managed to um, go to BMW's facility in Munich and meet uh, Dominic Reitzel. Um, and just see what they were doing there. I'm not going to talk specifically about the parts because we all know that the SLM i8 Roads the Bracket and the Mini Yours customised um, project. I've talked about them at great length, but what I want to talk about is just the the amount of parts that come through that additive manufacturing facility there. You see, like if you are an engineer at BMW, you don't have a maker bar on your desk, you don't have an ultimaker on your desk, you order via Dominic's system and if you want to order if you're a customer who wants to order a personalised um, side scuttle you also order through Dominic's system you also order <laughs> you also order through Dominic's system basically the, there's no difference between ordering a prototyping tool and ordering a um, end use final production tool it all comes through the system that they've created and just some of the things that were that, that happen in there, the way that that system is. A lot of these companies like um, Value Chain and I think Link 3D and so somebody like 3D Mind, they're all trying to create these systems where additive manufacturing becomes a proper manufacturing workflow tool. But BMW have done it and they've been there and they've done that and they've documented it. Um, they were showcasing as well that in another room they have their carbon system set up and they basically... Um, they set up with the Carbon M1 printers a speed cell before Carbon released the speed cell. So they had an automatic unit for oh. transferring parts to a part washer that wasn't a carbon part washer. So they were doing all these things before. And they're a real pioneer in that kind of sense. They take the technologies and they pull them back and they document them themselves. They don't wait for the OEMs to do it. And I think, you know, I think there's a... I think one of the... One of the strangest things about this industry that you hear quite often is that certainly with the bigger mainframe machines is that no two machines are the same. And you talk, when you're talking about such minute parameters, you buy one big piece of metal, direct metal, sensoring equipment, and it's not the same as the next one that you buy, even though it's the same model. That's a real issue for the likes of the aerospace and the automotive industries and the medical industries. So BMW didn't wait for the ASDM to go and create some standards for these things. They went and just did it themselves. And like it was a really fascinating trip, just like the Maiden Space one. It was like one of the best things I've done. It really reopened my eyes to what's possible with additive manufacturing. But they've been doing that now for 25, 30 years. They, they invested in it at the start and they continue to invest in it now. But they're not, they, they're not a company who say, well, we can afford to just throw this money at this technology. They buy the technology and it needs to work. When Dominic buys the technology, he needs to prove it works. And I find it really like, it's quite refreshing to see a company just doing it. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of the time it's, the news that we get in or the PR is from the OEMs about how, how you could do it, but this is genuinely a company that are doing it. And they're doing it with EOS technology, with HP technology, with carbon technology, with SLM technology, with desktop metal technology. They're not, they're not um, tied down to one mm-hmm. provider. And I think they're probably, in my opinion, the most advanced in the world at doing what they do. Mm-hmm. I, think, I mean, that's something you've talked about this year as well, though, isn't it? Where, 
you know, you've got some people that literally just go out, they just do it, they're not waiting for other people to kind of like make these promises around it, not making the standards, they're just going to go out and do it themselves and really just like prove out the technology instead of waiting for the rest of the, the industry to catch up. Who's it you were talking to at TCT show about that, was it? It was John Beck John at Europac, yeah. So I just think it's quite interesting to hear if someone that is actually just, as you said, going out there, they buy a technology and they've got to actually make it work in the end, so... They're a really good example of that. At the TCT conference at Form Next, they announced that they'd um, just printed one million parts uh, in total. And if it was anyone else, I'd go, well, how do you know that you've printed one million parts? <laughs> I saw that uh, there was a story a while ago about, uh, I think it was this year at some stage, this company selling the millionth desktop printer. And I thought, well, how do you like prove that? Nobody knows. You can't find out how the sales of the now defunct Solidoodle have sold. So it's like, um, but because of that ordering system, there's, I totally believe that BMW, and funnily enough, it was a yeah, multi-jet fusion part that they uh, printed with as well. Mm. Um, so the quiz for this month. <laughs> uh, this is June run, isn't it? Was it? Prodways launches ProMaker LD3 DLP desktop 3D printer. Was it? How 3D printing is shaping the future of aircraft maintenance, repair and overhaul? Or was it enabling additive manufacturing for UK aerospace? So what have you got there? I think that's my go first, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna go with um, the MRO aerospace. Laura? I mean, I, f- I feel like to not be big headed, I should go with enabling <laughs> UK aerospace. <laughs> Well, again, you're both wrong again. What? Impressive. Is it Prodways? No, sorry. Is one of us right? One of us is right. <laughs> I was wrong. It is actually Sam was right there. Oh. It was your story, Laura, on uh, how 3D printing is shaping the future of aircraft, aircraft maintenance. It's repair a nice little segue, that, though. Well, it was a nice little segue until we decided to make this a two-parter of the TCT podcast. Thanks for listening to part one. We'll pick up on Laura's little cliffhanger next week on Friday the 21st of December. Until next time.